Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Out of the Blue for Amazing Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, a podcast whose side effects include inflated fandom, heavy breathing, and acute horniness. I am Jared Stormer of AmazingBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate. Andy, you living embodiment of a monster truck rally happening during a volcanic eruption. How you been, brother? Been well, my friend. Had some time off to recharge the batteries, and by recharge the batteries, I participated in an eight-hour endurance challenge where I ran 50 miles because Michigan football has not been hurting me like it used to, so I need like just some pain in my life to keep me humble, so I've embarked on this journey. Well, anything worth doing is worth overdoing, and you certainly take that into account, but if you're going to do something insanely stupid like that, at least win, and uh, that's why you're my boy out there. That's why you're number one. We 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 claim victories here, you know, real and not real. So this one was very tangible to get, you know. And only other thing I've been doing since we last spoke was I rewatched Michigan Ohio State uh, last Friday morning, and it was lovely, great time, same result. Uh, I also have rewatched that since we last spoke. That is hilarious. It's my favorite movie. I have it saved on the TV, and it's like whenever I can't find a movie or I don't want to rewatch Tremors for the four hundredth time, I'm like, yeah, let's let's flip this on. I got two hours. Skip through the commercials. It's delightful every single time. Wonderful viewing with a coffee. Yeah, anytime I can't find my Back to the Future DVD, it's always like next up. Like, ah, you know what? We'll put the game on real quick one time. So, yeah, it was great. You know, you always pick up on something new with each viewing. Like, oh, man, that was a great play by Taylor Upshaw. Oh, man, Jalen Harrell read the edge here. Look at this block. Like, something always stands out. Like, it's like the Sapruder film, but if the Sapruder film was like mixed with like uh, Ready Player One, that's what it's like. It's exactly like that. And I like going back on it now, too, because I'm like, all right, this time I'm going to focus on Trevor Keegan this watch through. Let's see how my man Keegs did. I mean, I know that man's driving around in a Lamborghini right now, but I want to judge his performance from last November. 
man drives around in a Lamborghini but plays the game like a Ford Bronco with no governor. Oh, that's a man. What a rewatch, you know? Just it, it ages like a fine wine. Uh, Omar, one of our awesome listeners, reached out and said something about how he has it saved to like uh, his iCloud or his Google Drive or something. And is it weird that he'll never delete? I said, no, it's not. It's the most American thing I've ever heard, and I'm very proud to know you. If mine got deleted, because it's kind of a hard thing to get, just like the full recording of that, I, I'm sure you could do it. Like I would pay money to do it. But yeah, if that ever got deleted, I might shed a tear. It's like I said, it's my favorite movie and it's not coming out on Blu-ray. So I need to hold on to that forever. Exactly. I'm preparing to move. And at our new place, I'm going to get like a nice big picture in my office of uh, the storming of the field and have that just in the background. And then below it, I'm going to position my framed newspaper from the following morning with Hassan Haskins with his arms abreast. Like, I mean, that's I've never heard of anything more decorative than that. So to say that that victory still means something is uh, maybe an understatement. <laughs> We're going to be living off this thing, dining it's off. It's been over, what, 900 days now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, not since that game, but it's been 900 days since they've beaten us in football. Exactly. So, you know, we're going to enjoy it and we're going to ride this thing down. And I did see a nice reminder that Michigan State was down 49 to nothing at halftime against Ohio State. So I haven't forgotten that enjoy either. Oh, man, it is good. I, I feel great. And it's good to be back with you. Good to do a podcast. Uh, we are going to officially start with our offseason coverage, uh, but it's going to be offseason coverage focused on the football team. We are primarily a football podcast. We had to figure out how we were going to do it this offseason. I think we've got that. So we've got a new series for you that's going to be debuting tonight. But we've got some uh, some other quick hits that we got to get through. Uh, let's start over in basketball, where I don't think this was news. Certainly wasn't news to you or me or any other person that follows the Michigan basketball program closely. But Jawan Howard uh, showed zero interest in uh, the Lakers job. He declined to interview, said that he's pretty happy where he's at with Michigan, has both of his sons here that he'll finally be coaching, something that they've been kind of working towards the last couple of years. For me, not a surprise at all. Must, must have been a slow news day because it made it to the front page of ESPN and CBS Sports, though. Would you rather drive a Toyota Tercel in a circle on a dirt track until it runs out and then you're blamed for everything? Or would you rather, you know, just keep on chugging along in a Maserati down the road with a few speed bumps along the way? This was an easy question for him to answer, and I'm very proud to have him still as our head coach. I mean, everything aside and all the few problems we've had, but... Man, good on him for like at least proving to us he still has a brain and the capacity to think rationally. Because if he'd gone to the Lakers job, which no one seems to want right now, allergic to that position, like it would have been alarming. So thank you, Jawan, for being the man I hoped you were. I would rather huff bath salts and drive a uh, like a garbage truck down an icy freeway at 100 miles an hour than take the Lakers job, especially over the Michigan job. What are we talking about here? That job is toxic to anyone that touches it. No way. This was an easy one for Jawan Howard, especially with both of his sons there. And like, I mean, you're going to slap a man and then leave us like, come on now, you've got to build some equity back up after the slap. So uh, he's got plenty of that. He's going to have plenty of other overtures to take these NBA head coaching positions down the road. I don't think that's a very good fit, and especially not now where he's at. He's got unfinished business, and I don't think Juwan's going anywhere for at least four years, and then maybe we can start to actually treat these these you know year-in and year-out reports a little more seriously. I would rather sit on a panel with Julia Fox and Antonio Brown discussing international politics and coach the Lakers. That's all you need to know. 
I'd rather be Kanye West's sound guy or, or like just work directly for Mr. West than work for the Lakers organization right now. Like it, there's just no way. It's just not, not a good career move at this point right now. LeBron's going to see your ass out, but uh, other news, basketball news, uh, Musa Diabate, Caleb Houston. We don't know exactly what either is doing yet, but it sounds like Caleb Houston could have a promise in the first round. There's been some rumors of that, that he might have a promise. I don't know if it's first round or second round. I assume it must be first. Um, if it's going to keep him in the draft, second round doesn't really do much for you. I also assume that's going to be with one of the more established and healthy organizations. I'm basing that off nothing other than the fact that you're getting a project with Caleb Houston. And then Musa Diabate really opened eyes with his combine performance, had the lowest body fat percentage at 2.7%, which according to you is not humanly possible. And I trust you on these things. He also had the second highest vertical reach, fourth fastest shuttle run, wingspan was over seven feet, jumped higher than 36 inches, which is ridiculous for a guy of that size. So, I mean, this is an absolute athletic marvel. What do you think? Do you still believe we're getting both of these guys back? It's starting to feel like we're going to get one back and not the other. It seems to like with Caleb Houston not participating in the rumors of a first round promise and then Musa testing off the charts right now to me, it seems like Caleb Houston comes back and Musa goes while Musa did test off the charts. He still like just can't dribble, which is essential in basketball. So he situation is very key for him. Uh, the Grizzlies have some late round picks to fit in that grit and grind system where he can switch, learn from Steven Adams and some of the other guys in that organization would be a great move for him. But I think Caleb Houston just has to come back to college and really work on being the guy and taking over and being aggressive and learning certain things like that. They're that harder to teach. Musa, while all but not ready with a lot of his skills, those are a lot easier to teach and learn on the fly at the NBA level. So I'd feel more comfortable with him going now and being able to contribute a lot quicker than Caleb Houston would. So if you ask me right now, gun to the head, I think uh, Musa Diabate leaves and Caleb Houston returns. Wow. So uh, between the two of us, we're probably going to get this right because I see it the opposite way. I see it as Musa Diabate returns, Caleb Houston goes, and this is a projection league. We're basing a lot of this purely on projection, but Caleb Houston is the type of player that you know that, that you want in the NBA is a three and D wing. You can't have too many of these three and D wings out there. And Shaden Sharp is now projected to go in the top six. And before the season, Sharp was one of these guys that was projected. He didn't play a minute this year at Kentucky. So they're just going based on his projection. Well, if you went based on preseason projections, Caleb Houston is like the eighth ranked prospect. So I think that's what we're seeing here is I think people are ignoring that one year, kind of like what happened with Zaire Williams at Stanford last year, where Memphis was like, we don't care. One one bad year does not take away from the fact that this guy is an elite prospect. So I think that's what we have here. I think a team later in the draft that needs a three and D wing has made this dude a promise, and I, I think he will go. I think Diabate is going to get probably a second-round grade and say somebody might take a shot on you later in the second round. He's going to have a decision to make. I think he ultimately comes back to push himself up into the top 15 next year. That's how I see it. We could both be wrong. It, they could both return or they could both go, but uh, I've definitely changed from both returning to maybe one going, one returning. I've certainly... I've certainly shifted my opinion of late with some of this news that's come out. Right now with one leaving whoever it is and one returning, that at least leaves the door open for Imani Bates, right? 
It does. It does. Theoretically, I don't know what the admissions would look like there. Um, there was some whispers about that a couple weeks ago. I don't know how long he has to make that decision. Um, I don't see it. I, I don't see Imani Bates coming to Michigan. I could see him going to somewhere like Louisville or something like that. Um, but it does. It does leave a roster spot open. And um, man, that certainly would be interesting, especially if it's Houston that goes and you're just plugging Imani Bates in there. Uh, Amani Bates and Musa Diabate is one of the longest, most athletic pairings that Michigan would have ever had. That is, that is a fascinating thought. Yeah, especially with uh, Llewellyn on the team now as well. So the, the team next year, it's it's hard to even put a grasp on it because the Frankie Collins departure to Arizona State, uh, Terrence Williams stayed put. There were rumblings about him departing. So there's a lot of moving pieces shaking and moving here. But it takes us back to the original point that Jawan Howard staying, I think, is the biggest piece for everything. I think so, too. And that's the most important part of this. And not that that was ever in question, but uh, Jawan, having Jawan there, knowing you have Hunter there, the core is in place. Terrence Williams not going anywhere, like you said. Llewellyn's in there. So we've got a core of guys in place. We just got to figure this Diabate thing. Now, if they both go, we're, we're in actually a little bit of trouble next year because that team goes from being very deep to – you're relying on Terrence Williams for big minutes every night. And that's one of your most important players. Whereas now that's an awesome guy off the bench. It shifts a lot. Even if we lose just Caleb Houston, uh, expect Terrence Williams to be a big part of this. And maybe that's the reason why he stuck around is like, he, he might see the writing on the wall that one of these guys is going and we're going to need forward depth. Yeah, I think so too. And that's why I was so surprised with the departure of my son, my former son, Frankie Collins off to, Arizona State so yeah man it's going to be very interesting Lo uh, bringing one of them back I think is critical to your point of the depth even if we bring in somebody like Amani Bates or another transfer to just fill out the front court a little bit more having one of them back is makes me feel very okay but without both of them it's like the depth there is very very thin it's like why well, I feel good about Terrence Williams like okay well who's going to come in for Terrence Williams do I feel comfortable with Jace Howard do I feel comfortable with a freshman stepping in so it just leaves more questions and answers if both of them declare yeah and it probably lowers your ceiling a little bit uh, with everybody returning you're thinking national titles with one guy returning you're thinking maybe you could get the Big Ten if both guys go it's going to be a real struggle you could still compete for the Big Ten but you know, you're probably more likely now being like an outside tournament team if both guys go. So there's a lot in the balance here. Um, I'm super nervous. I mean, you and I follow this stuff closely, both, you know, for the Pistons and for our Michigan guys. And, you know, I'm fascinated to see in the coming weeks here where everybody's going and we start to get an idea of who the who these guys are going to and, you know, what to expect. Uh, I would not expect any other Michigan players, you know, either um, I've already forgotten the name of our point guard that transferred Devonte Jones that decided to go pro. I do not see his name coming up. So it's really just these two guys that we're watching down the stretch. Yeah, I don't think Devonte Jones is going to find his seventh or eighth year of eligibility and come on back. Uh, but one quick question for you, uh, which player raises the ceiling more if only one of them comes back Houston or Diabate? Ooh, that is a really good question. I mean, you still look at Houston and you think what he might be. And since we're going based on projections, it's probably what Houston could be. Um, but I like Diabate more. I'd rather see Diabate back. Does that make any sense? I get Houston probably helps you more because of what he could be in theory. But Diabate, I like more for what he is. And I also like his ceiling like that. Just that's more my type of player. 
A hundred percent, it's Diabate. Like we always, we talk about projection. Like Caleb Houston could be this. Well, I could be an astronaut, but I have really bad motion sickness, and I'm not a huge fan of math, so it's just not in the cards for me. Uh, Musa Diabate has everything you already want. You just got to refine the rough edges. He's got the raw skill set. He's got the dog in him, and I'm going to take that nine times out of ten because last year, as we both have eyes and we watched the game tape, Diabate is the one that like was consistently attacking, and you could really just see it. It's like. Just like a rough, the rough edges could smooth them out. But with Caleb Houston, it's like, oh, I don't know if you're ever going to get there, my guy. Yeah, I mean, I get it. But I mean, if you judge, uh, there's a lot of players that if you just go back and judge them by their first year, you know, what was Duncan Robinson his first year? Wasn't he playing for some school that's now, you know, actually at the bottom of a lake? I, I don't think that, you know, he was really anything worth talking about. See, some some of these guys just take a little longer. Um, I, I love, you know, he doesn't really have that dog in him. How would you rate yourself? You know, there's that meme that's going around of the two guys sitting on the train, one guy staring at the dark, gloomy wall and the other guy staring out of over the beautiful vista and the guy that's staring out of the beautiful vista is the, he got that dog in him guy. You know what I'm talking about, right? I do. And I like to think of myself like somewhere in the middle because like, even when Russell Westbrook was going off and was crazy, like hyper athletic, but was super inefficient. Like he's got that dog in him, but it's like, I could use just a little bit less. Like I I use the analytics, like sometimes for confirmation bias or a few other things to paint the picture, but I more go off the eye tests and the eye test can quickly tell you if it's inefficient dog or efficient dog. And like the best example of that is like peak Russell Westbrook or like Anthony Edwards now and what he's become. Like Anthony Edwards now is just perfect to me. Like I think he's a perfect human being. Love the way he plays. Got that dog in him. He's got a lot more efficient as these last couple years. And yeah, that's where I that's where I rest. Where are you? I'm a 70-30 dog leaner. I lean dog 70% of the way, but you got to have some analytics in there as well. But I'm an eye test guy most of the way. Uh, Russell Westbrook was a great example. Jordan Poole uh, at Michigan was another example where we mostly liked Jordan Poole. We're like, sometimes this dude is just a shot chucker. Sometimes like it doesn't look like he's engaged defensively, but he's got that dog in him. He's a gamer. You know, we use that term a lot as well. Bright lights are on. This dude's showing up. So 70-30, he got that dog in him. I, I, I prefer. It's a more enjoyable way to watch the sport. I can promise you that than being like, oh, well, actually, uh, the stats say uh, he shouldn't have uh, thrown that poster dunk down. He should have passed that out for a three. Like, no, nah, dude, he got that dog in him. <laughs> I, I think I'm right there with you. I, I might even be 80 20 because like as much as like, you know, it's fun to be like, well, they're shooting this. Like, I'm never going to be a butt actually guy. I like to have fun and it's entertainment at the end of the day. Sports are silly and they're supposed to be. And it's like, well, well Aiden Hutchinson's rushing defensive grade wasn't as good as uh, Nick Benito's at Oklahoma. I don't care. Had three sacks in the biggest game of the year. He got that dog in him. That's what matters to me, man. What a great example for he got that dog in him. Um, ooh, two seconds on Aiden Hutchinson, just because we're there. This wasn't something we had in the dock. Uh, are you going to be tuning in to Hard Knocks? We've got the Detroit Lions on the Hard Knocks. They're all of a sudden like the media darlings, both for what they could be on the field and just like the likability of what they're building there. Uh, I think Hutchinson's going to be the star of the show. If you've ever watched these Hard Knocks show, they focus on the, the first round pick a lot. And this guy's from Dearborn, like the story coming off the Big Ten Championship. This is going to be the Aiden Hutchinson show. I can't wait for Hard Knocks. 
Yeah, it's sure as hell not going to be Jared Goff talking <laughs> to guys like having a conversation with a ceiling fan. Like, are you kidding me? No, of course it's going to be Hutch. It's going to be Hutch. It's going to be Jamo Jamison Williams. It's going to be a great team to watch. And uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, re- in, really interested to get to see some more of him in there. No, Dan Campbell, this is must-see TV. I can't wait for Hard Knocks. I'm more excited for this than I am with any, like, with any show featuring characters wearing capes. I can tell you that much. It's definitely better than any of the Marvel IP right now. I mean, having seen Doctor Strange, I can confirm. I haven't seen Hard Knocks yet, but it's going to be tremendous. And yeah, you mentioned Jameson Williams, another he got that dog in him guy. So I can't wait. That is going to be must-see TV. Uh, Speaking of things being weird and making no sense, which we were just talking about a little bit ago, Trevor Keegan has a Lamborghini. He's driving around Ann Arbor. Of all the guys on the Michigan Wolverines to just be cruising in a Lambo in Ann Arbor, is Trevor Keegan the funniest? Like, is there a funnier combination we could get? Like Mike Sainra still driving like the Oscar Mayer Wiener mobile, like or Mike Barrett in a Hummer H1, like a, a dually truck. This is a, a great combination. I'm here for this. I'm kind of partial to Kalel Mullings on a unicycle myself, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I absolutely love this. I love an offensive line like like players get to express their personality because a lot of the times it's the most vibrant on the team. I mean, they're in one of the most thankless jobs in all of sports. So this is fantastic. And also who's going to say anything to Trevor Keegan? The man, he is a mountain of a man. You talk about got that dog in him too. You remember the Michigan Ohio state game. We both rewatched it last week when he runs over and gets in Brown's face from Ohio state after he yanked Roman Wilson's helmet off. That's the definition of a dog. And I'm glad he's got the Lambo and got some horses now too. Man, I've never injected cocaine into my bloodstream, but that moment had to be what that was like when Trevor Keegan ran up after the Roman Wilson uh, helmet ripoff there. I was ready to go to war with Trevor, Trevor Keegan. So, yeah, give that man a Lambo just for coming to Roman Wilson's aid. I hope that's what he was being rewarded for. He deserves two Lamborghinis. I love it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I told you before, as you know, I have never served, never claimed to have served, but in that moment, if you'd asked me to join the military and fight for the United States of Roman Wilson and Trevor Keegan's by my side, you bet your sweet ass I'm joining. Give him a Lamborghini. I'm in the foxhole. Give him a Lamborghini. But like, as far as like an actual point, uh, does this maybe help to dispel some of the notions that are going around that Michigan is lagging behind in the NIL front? Um, you know, there's a little bit of recruiting concern. I know. I think we said we had it at like a four a couple weeks ago. Should probably mean it's at a five now, being as how we haven't done anything on the recruiting trail. But this should dispel some of the NIL myths, right? This isn't a coincidence. The universe is never that lazy. So all of this is coming is coinciding with it. Yeah, it's being about a five, but we're in the mix for a lot of key guys. It feels like, and you get that sense that, all right, we're going to push this thing over the top, especially while Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher slinging mud at each other, which is awesome. So much fun to watch. Um, they're just have, we're having offensive linemen drive around in Lamborghinis. Imagine what you're going to do if you keep scoring touchdowns here, or if you help beat Michigan State, or you're bringing another Big Ten title here in a playmaking position. Yeah, this is a statement, not a coincidence, and I think it's really going to aid for like some of the guys they might be on the fence with on the recruiting trail. If you were a multi-multi-millionaire in Ann Arbor and you could pick two guys, one on offense, one on defense, who are you sponsoring for NIL this year? Like, Who do you want to be the face of your program in 2022. Oh, I, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give it all to one guy who plays offense and defense. I'm going to give it to my boy, Mikey Sainer still <laughs> face of the program. 
I love it. Give me Corum on offense. That dude, like, he's given away millions of dollars. He hasn't even made, I didn't even think he had made millions. Like, this dude is giving away money out of his own pocket. I have no idea what he's actually pocketed himself, but, like, him and McCarthy, both great picks. Incredible ambassadors. So, I mean, I like your your answer was the he got that dog in him answer. Mine was, like, the analytics answer. Um, but then on defense, give me DJ Turner. I'm just going with the stars. And uh, in the second half of this pod, you're going to hear like everything. Yeah, you're going to have you're hear everything I have to say about DJ Turner in the second half. Blake Corum went to the mall in overalls. You know what kind of confidence that takes? So you're investing in the right person. Great investment. Elite investment. I have absolutely no worries about this. A million dollars well spent. Um, all right. Uh, before we get to the second half of this pod, got to take a minute. Talk about our people. People over at Home Field Apparel. Love these cats, love their lines of clothing because they've got it all. They've got the new school, they've got the old school. I am partial to my old Wolverine, the one that looks like a, it almost kind of looks like like a woodchuck in this thing, but I've got it uh, as my weekly wear. They, they pretty much constitute uh, one-fifth of my entire apparel at this enti- at this point in time, but that's fine because they've got you covered with all of your college athletic needs. You can get 20% off your first purchase when you go to MNB or you put in MNB at checkout, go to homefieldapparel.com. All right, uh, last thing before we go to break here. There's going to be a Michigan Wolverine that's winning the NBA title this year. Who do you think it's going to be? There's a Wolverine represented on all four remaining teams. Uh, Obviously, Jordan Poole is the most impactful guy, as we detailed in our last pod a couple weeks ago. Um, He is absolutely tearing it up still in these playoffs. The other guy is a little less impactful. Which Wolverine is going to be victorious at the end of this? I think it's going to be Jordan Poole. I really do. With the uh, with Andrew Wiggins' emergence right now in the conference finals being up 3-0, it seems they're going to be poised to get a lot of rest. And uh, health and availability has been a big issue during the playoffs. As Miami and Boston slug it out, I think the Warriors get it done in five at the most, get a lot of rest, get uh, any guys healthy, get Gary Payton the second back. So that'll add some more depth to the front court for them. They just seem to have it, man. They have it in spades. They have the experience. They have Steve Kerr. They have the outside shooting. Even when one player is not, it's hard to dispel all of their shooting across the board, the way they're playing defense right now. I think it's going to be the Warriors. I think so, too. Um, Boston is still interesting. I know they went down in that series. I think Boston is the best remaining team, although Nick Stauskas is by far the least contributing to his team. Well, I don't know. He's tied with Tim Hardaway and Trey Burke as not contributing. So I I don't know which one you want to take there. Mavs are definitely not winning it. So it's unfortunate because this is probably Trey Burke's last shot at it. it might be Tim Hardaway's last shot. He's just not getting minutes either. So could be the end for for those guys in the NBA. Tim Hardaway might still be able to come off somebody's bench somewhere, but Burke is probably out of the league after this, which which is a shame. But I'm I'm glad they got some you know playoff run. Tim Hardaway especially has had some big moments, but for Jordan Poole, this is just the beginning. And we did our our piece on will he ever match? You know, Chris Webber was the guy that he's basically going to have to match to have that kind of impact. And you get a title run. In year two or year three? Yeah, I mean, you're right on your way, especially when you're the one of the three most important guys on that title team. Like, you elevate yourself greatly, greatly in your first real season as, as a player here. So, yeah, Jordan Poole winning it would be would be pretty awesome. I mean, I, I would definitely be, I'm, I am pulling for him 
I just can't pull for Draymond Green. A hundred percent with you. And there's, it's more than just Draymond Green being a Spartan, why we can't pull for him. And you're right about Boston, but it's just like with the, the frequent injuries on their team and Miami's, it's hard to feel confident with one of those teams, like surviving enough to get through the Warriors, because I honestly think the Heat and um, Boston full strength, healthy could take down the Warriors in a seven game series, all things even, but they're not equal at this point of the year. That's just how the sport works. So it lends to them, but good on Jordan Poole, man. Like anybody that's watched him, he can get past anybody right now. Needs to get a little bit stronger and work on some parts of his game. But if you told me in 2018, he was going to be a huge contributing factor to the Golden State Warriors title run, possibly Steph Curry's fourth title, I would not have believed you. I actually, if you would have told us that, let's actually workshop this for a second. Back when we were like, he should come back for a year. I mean, granted, we have the the benefit of hindsight now, so we're being a little bit more tepid with our Musa stuff and our Caleb Houston stuff. But theoretically, that year, we still liked Jordan Poole. We just said he needs a year. You could have talked us into that. You could have been like, yeah, I mean, in a couple of years, this guy's going to be developed and he's going to learn from uh, Steph and Clay. I think you could have you could have talked us into that. Give yourself some credit, sir. We're not that dense and we were not that far off with our Jordan. <laughs> I would have assumed stuff. like. I would have assumed like role player or something like that, but like at times being the best player Fair. for the Warriors, I think I, I couldn't have projected this ceiling fair that's fair yeah yeah I, I think you're right I don't think star I think even for us that would have been a reach but yeah well that's why I want to get it right with Musa and Caleb Houston so uh, as soon as they make their decisions we're going to give our proclamations on what we think is going to happen with their career and I want to be right on that one but uh, I won't say I am not willing to say we were wrong on Jordan Poole I would say that we were pretty spot on and we were vindicated uh, Kevin O'Connor and uh, and Verno on the mismatch said the exact same thing that we said is no one could have predicted this coming out of Michigan because he was a bit of a shot chucker. So we've been vindicated by some of the more national. Exactly. And in cases like this, we're always excited to be a little bit wrong about things or be a like, or have shortened his ceiling or like shortened his potential. But yeah, good. I'm glad you proved me wrong because nobody was rooting for you to prove us wrong more than we, more than us ourselves. Exactly. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we are starting a new segment. This is how we're going to do this offseason. We're going to cover every single position group and we're doing deep dives. I mean, I actually watched some film for this. I watched an instructional video on the 425 Rover. I mean, y'all are welcome, but we're going to break down what we expect to see from this Jesse Minter defense kind of give you a brief rundown of what we think we're going to see as far as schematics in the back half of the defense and then really focus on the secondary. We're going to do a deep dive on that when we come back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. In the second half of this thing, we are switching over to football, where we will remain for the majority of this offseason. It's where we belong. It's where we feel most comfortable and you know, in, in off seasons past, we've kind of gone more towards the ludicrous and maybe the uh, the more out of the blue aspect, meaning that a uh, little bit random venture into some pop culture. We actually want to go back towards the analysis this time. We actually want to dive into the position groups. We're going to look at both coaches and the position group, the personnel, maybe some schemes, what they'll be running schematically. And uh, I guess you could call this doing our jobs this time around in this offseason. You know, as much as I want to listen to DJ Snake and break down like the nuance of Steve Aoki as compared to um, uh, Mozart, I think it's nice that we finally get back into what we're paid to do, and that is talk about Michigan football, the ins and outs, and uh, really give some unique perspective here to mix in the analytics compared to the eye test, change some minds, confirm some beliefs, and just really get into the nitty-gritty in the offseason to fully prepare everyone, including ourselves, for the 2022 season. Yeah, as much fun as it is to try and think about about which guy in the offensive line would be most like uh, the Will Smith performance in Wild Wild West. It doesn't really serve much to actually help break down the team. So uh, so we're actually going to get into some analysis and we're going to start with the defense and work our way position group by position group. But before we can get into that, I think we need to actually start with the defensive coordinator as there is a shift at the top. Now, this shouldn't be too monumental of a shift as Jesse Minter is coming from this, what is now a pretty profound and robust Harbaugh coaching tree, coaching tree that goes back to 1980. When you go back to Jack Harbaugh coaching at Western Kentucky, you can trace the, the roots of this thing all the way up to the Baltimore Ravens where both uh, Jesse Minter and Mike uh, McDonald were coaches in the 2020 team that went 11-5 uh, and five and beat the Titans in the wildcard round. Really good defense there. Jesse Minter coming over most recently from Vanderbilt, where things were not as rosy. What should we take away from the one year at Vanderbilt for uh, for Jesse Minter? Just the one and done there. And to give some contacts, uh, the Vandy D was 118th in the country. Now they allowed 5,492 5, yards, which when you compare that to Michigan, who allowed 4,631 yards, you're like, oh, I guess that's not that bad. But then you remember that Michigan played two extra games and the Vandy D allowed 457 per game. Compare that to the 330 yards per game Michigan allowed. So uh, not exactly stalwarts on defense, the Vandy Commodores. What should we take away from that one year there from Minter? Not much at all. Like, let's be honest here. If Alabama runs the same defense as Chattanooga, they're not going to have the same results. That's all it is. Scheme can only fix so much. Player personnel and talent there can only do so much. There's always going to be a balance and a give and a take there. So take it with a grain of salt. But what you can take from it is the scheme and the schematic look down on the tape. Like, are they running something that looks like Michigan? Can I replace this defensive end with Aiden Hutchinson and see like similar things and how they're transpiring in the defense, looking at reads in the secondaries and passing off coverages and the way they manipulate zones and blitzes and things of that nature. And I think really the bones of like all, all of that are there. 
So that has me excited, at least for the continuity aspect, transitioning from Mike McDonald to Jesse Minter. And plus, I love this guy's energy at the spring game. Yeah, I mean, seems like a high-energy guy, a little bit different than Mike McDonald, actually a lot bit different, where McDonald was just the cerebral calming presence. This guy, a little bit more of a rah-rah dude, but schematically, like you said, there's going to be a lot. Going back to your point about Vanderbilt not taking much away from that, I agree with you. Um, You mentioned the personnel there. Vanderbilt was 102nd in the country in returning production for 2021. They ranked 59 out of 65 Power 5 teams in talent composite. So you're talking about a team that was bereft of talent there was I mean if they would have done better than they did this guy probably gets plucked by somebody else because it was just a team that was really really low on talent starting level caliber talent in a very very tough division so I agree with you let's not take away too much from that Vanderbilt year we're going to look past that and back at some of the Baltimore defenses that he was on as as secondary coordinator a little bit closer Uh, but at Vanderbilt what they wanted to do early on in the season was run what's called this 425 rover scheme but they had to adapt uh, and they largely ran a 335 but that was due to the lack of talent they had what he wants to do and what both McDonald wanted to do what Harbaugh wants to do what Martindale wanted to do at Baltimore uh, before McDonald took over is they want to run multiple defensive fronts and they want to run that based on their personnel. So expect to see defensive fronts that shift a lot and that's going to be based on the strength of this defense, which I think you and I both agree is the secondary, what we're talking about today. Absolutely, especially when McDonald adjusted last season and went to the five five defensive back looks, but it was it was very different, like you said, multiple and versatile because of they were utilizing three safeties. And that was the big difference there, not bringing in the nickel or third corner. It was a three-safety look last year with Dax Hill, Brad Hawkins, and a rotating thing of Rod Moore or R.J. Moten. So I think you'll see more of that. And up front, the same thing. Like Sometimes they'll have Jalen Harrell on the edge. They could have this linebacker, same thing with like a T.J. Guy on that side or Taylor Upshaw. Players like that that can move because, as you remember, last season at times, even against Ohio State, David Ojabo was in coverage on Jackson Smith and Jigba just because that's how the defense works. And you have to be able to at least hold your own and show competence doing a lot of different things in this scheme. I think it's better to start to look at these uh, less schematically and less on like the name of the system and more on a personnel uh, standpoint, because that's just kind of the way things have gone, both on offense and defense. It's not necessarily like where, oh, John Gruden's coming over. He's bringing the Tampa two and they're running that Tampa two. Even back then, it wasn't quite that simple. We saw a ton of fronts at Michigan last year. We saw three, three, five, three, four over under. We saw base four, three, four, three under. And then you see five man fronts. And actually, there was quite a few five man fronts last year. You're going to see five man fronts this year. So think of it less of a scheme. Um, we're going to talk about the four two five with the rover a little bit, but think of it more personnel. That's really what I think you need to focus on, and that's just NFL defenses now, which is what you saw with McDonald, and that's what you're going to see with Minter. I mean, he's been with Baltimore now for for several years and had tremendous results there um, under Baltimore. This is a guy that with the Ravens, first team as defensive back coach. I mean, he had the the secondary had three Pro Bowl defenders. You got Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Earl Thomas. They allowed the NFL's third fewest points, fourth fewest net yards per game. Um, They were uh, fifth against the run, sixth versus the pass. So I prefer to look at what they did at Baltimore and and kind of how they run that pro style, which is based on personnel and and getting the best matchups. 
Absolutely. And just the one year of Vanderbilt, you don't have time to develop or really get things in motion to take that next step in the scheme he wants to run. Like you said, especially with the limited players they had there. Very, very limited talent pool. So, yes, and that's a great way to put it, personnel, because that was what we saw from Mike McDonald last season of being able to adapt the linebacker position, whether he's going with three big backers like Josh Ross, Nakai Hill-Green, Jr. Colson, or taking Hill-Green off the field, bringing in Michael Barrett, like we said before, bringing in the extra safety, the extra corners. It's a lot of different things, but this is the best thing because college football, unlike the NFL, you're going to face a lot of different offenses than you're going to see. You're going to face a triple option. You're going to face the spread, the read option, a bunch of different things. So having this type of coordinator is such a plus for the team. Yeah, and you mentioned having the ability to have a guy like Michael Barrett. I think that is going to be a very useful guy again for us, You know, like we saw McDonald bringing him late down the year. He'll be versatile, and we're talking about the secondary tonight, but we're also going to talk about that bandit position, which at times could be manned by Michael Barrett. So another guy that we'll touch on. But yeah, let's move over to the personnel part of it. I want to break this up into categories. Let's start with guys you are going to see. This is 100% locks. These are the personnel that Michigan is trotting out there as starters. I've got three locks. Um, there are some other guys that you definitely will see, but I've got three locks for starters, and then I've got two locks for will see. And I want to see if you uh, uh, agree with this. So locks, DJ Turner, Jamon Green, Rod Moore, starting in some capacity. Rod Moore could move around somewhere. And then I've got, you definitely will see them on the field, RJ Moten, Makari Page. Absolutely. The only one I'm just going to say you're probably going to see is Will Johnson into that list, but those first those first six names you listed off, the first five names you listed off are 100%. DJ Turner's quarterback one. Gamon Green has the experience from two years playing extensively. Rod Moore is, I think, going to be the cerebral leader of that defense from the back end. I think he's going to be even better than he was last. I'm a huge fan of Rod Moore's game. R.J. Moten came on like gangbusters, had the pick against Michigan State, should have had the pick against Ohio State. And Makari Page, I think, is going to get back in the rotation and kind of play that R.J. Moten, Rod Moore role from last season. Uh, I also have Will Johnson as a we will see him. Um, he's on the lower end of it, though, because you could possibly not see him. But as we get into like how we see the roles on in the secondary, I think you'll understand why Will Johnson makes a ton of sense as a guy you should see and will see this year. Others that you might see, and these could rank in, in a lot of different ways here, Keon Sab, Zeke Berry. Caden Colasar, Mikey Sainristil, Jalen Perry, Jamon Green, Jaden McBurrows. Now, we may have downgraded Mikey Sainristil. I th- you're actually, let's move Mikey Sainristil. You will see Mikey Sainristil in the second Let's move him yeah, up. Let's yeah, let's move him up. Well, you'll see him up there, but after like looking over what this defense might want to do, I don't know that you'll see him as much. I don't know that he'll be the third cornerback because I think you're going to have three safeties on the field a lot. So I've kind of maybe gone down a little bit with my Mikey Sainra still is going to be an impactful corner. I think he'll be impactful, but he's not, I don't think he's going to be a star corner. Let's say that. And then uh, Jermon Green and Jaden McBurrows as well. Yeah, the other Green brother we put here because of his emergence in the spring game, his experience in the program, the physicality he plays with, and yeah, all those extra guys are really are really fun to talk about because you have Keon Sab and Zeke Berry coming in as true freshmen. Caden Colazar, uh, German, obviously we say German Green, it sounds like Gamon Green, 
but they are twins from Texas. So apologies if you get them a little bit confused. It's kind of hard on an audio podcast to tell them apart. Yes. Then you have uh, Jalen Perry, been there for a few years, and Jaden McBurrow's true sophomore. So a lot of potential there, but the starting lineup and the guys we say we will see is so deep. It's hard to think of one of these guys to break into the rotation. I'm with you. Um, I think we've got a pretty good lock on who we're going to see. Um, the guys that could break in give me Zeke Berry and Keon Sab. Uh, those guys, especially Zeke Barry, were pretty high on. And when we talk about that bandit role, Zeke Barry being like a, a Kalik Hudson, um, uh, Dax Hill-esque type of guy in the future could be great. Um, and that'll be when you can eventually slide Will Johnson over to one of the boundary corners. I don't think we're there yet where Will Johnson's going to take over for either of these guys. But as far as depth, you know, I, I could see that Will Johnson stepping in. So let's start at the top here. I think we're both in agreement. The star of this group is DJ Turner and not just the star of this group, an actual star. Are we willing to say DJ Turner is a star on the level of Jordan Lewis coming back for his senior year, Dax Hill coming back for his junior? Is, it, is that how big DJ Turner coming back is in your mind? I think DJ Turner is on a 2015 Jordan Lewis page right now. I'm not going to say 16 yet because best corner we've seen this decade since um, uh, what's his face that went to the Bengals. Uh, so yeah, that that is it for me. It's about that 2015 range for DJ Turner. I think he has like a, a like a chance to go all conference with what he could do there, his ball skills and everything else, how well he held up in the Ohio State game. But I'm not going to say 2016 Jordan Lewis, but I'm as excited for DJ Turner this year as I have been for any other cornerback in any other year in the Jim Harbaugh era. So we'll say somewhere in between uh what was that 18 David Long and 2016 Jordan Lewis is is kind of maybe where we should be setting our DJ Turner expectations? I think so. I think that's a good spot. It all depends on how much action he's going to see because you say David Long didn't get a lot of balls his way in 18, and when he did, he made the most of it. And Jordan Lewis, it was, you know, try at your own risk. Exactly. All right, so I think we're on the same page. You've got a pseudo-star, potentially an all-conference guy in DJ Turner, so that's where you're building. And in this 4-2-5, uh, expect to see pretty standard two boundary corners DJ Turner, Jamon Green, that shouldn't be anything too surprising. It's exactly how it was last year with uh, DJ Turner and, and Vincent Gray and then eventually DJ Turner and, and Jamon Green. So I think that'll be pretty common. You will have, uh, at sometimes see another corner in there when it's that third corner. That's when I think you'll see Mikey Sainra still uh, when you're doing that. But sneaky strength of the team might be the safety group. So I've got DJ Turner ranked number one in the secondary. I think I have Rod Moore ranked two over Jamon Green. Absolutely. I have it Rod Moore and then RJ Moten in the back end. I was just very impressed with both of them last season. And like I alluded to earlier about Rod Moore, it's his mental aspect of the game. For a true freshman at 17 when he came into the program was just leaps and bounds above most 22-year-olds you see at that level. And it's only going to get better. So if he adds a little bit more like bulk to his frame without sacrificing his speed, his mental makeup is going to always allow him to be in the play and overcome some of his physical shortcomings. So yeah, I'm with you, man. Rod Moore is the second best player in this secondary and might and is going to captain this group. I think so too. And that leads me to believe like, are you maybe going to make this guy your bandit? So basically the bandit is kind of similar to the idea of a Viper in that you're going to have the free safety and the strong safety kind of stacked 
on the same side wherever there's more uh, receivers. So you're going to have your either probably your number two boundary corner. Uh, ideally, you know, maybe they'll they'll switch it up on you and, and run some formation where you can't have it this way. But you'd ideally have Jamon Green with two safety help. And then over on the other side, you single up DJ Turner with that bandit help. And then sometimes that bandit is also a third safety. Sometimes that bandit can be another cornerback that could even be Michael Barrett. So that's kind of the idea. It's going to change a lot of ways. I mean, they're so multiple with the personnel that they run on offense and with things like RPO, you know, it is going to be nice to have a Michael Barrett out there that can either, you know, diagnose and, and go up and, and challenge the run or can fall back and can help DJ Turner if need be. So where do you think they utilize Rod Moore at? I mean, it's pretty clear what DJ Turner is going to be. He's going to be expected to shut down half the field. That's your number one boundary corner. What are we thinking for Rod Moore, though? Do you use him just as a standard free safety? Is he in that bandit spot sometimes or is he so smart that you're moving him around? Do you want him captaining from the back end because we don't really have a captain at the linebacker spot? How do you see him using Rod Moore? I'd like to think they're going to use him all around the back end of the field, but I really think he's going to settle into that Brad Hawkins role where he's going to be in charge of everything, getting people in the right position, seeing things that they can't see, especially if you're going to be bringing in younger players like Will Johnson, Zeke Berry, or inexperienced players in the secondary in game action, such as Mikey Sainer still. He can help get everybody aligned and cover up for an array of sins if they happen and really make up the difference and kind of be that stopgap, that proofreader back there to really step up and cover things up that might happen. I'm with you. I like that as well. I think that he is basically, so we're just saying um, elite intelligence, Brad Hawkins, maybe slightly less athletic than Hawkins, but better on like with the, the on-field command of a Jordan Kovacs. That's, that's so, that is so spot on. That is exactly who he's going to be back there. And the fact that he's only a true sophomore is what makes it so impressive. That's a guy that just, yeah, enjoy watching him. I think we're, we're super lucky to have Rod Moore. I, I agree. He's number two back there. You had RJ Moten next. I think it's Jamon Green next. I think we have a, a pair of good boundary corners. Jamon Green, not an elite boundary corner, but I'd rather have what we have with Jamon Green than any year we had with Vincent Gray. I think he could be Channing Stribling, and you mentioned the uh, the interception stat, which we'll get to here shortly, like, I could see Jamon Green being like a Channing Stribling type and getting, you know, three, four interceptions this year, especially opposite of DJ Turner. So I got it. Jamon Green three. You think it's RJ Moten three? I think it's Moten three, but I want to uh, pose you this question for three players and specifically where you put Jamon Green in this. Give me an overrated, underrated and properly rated player in the secondary. And which one of those three categories would you put Jamon Green in? <laughs> Fascinating. I don't know where you rate Jamon Green. Is it it's Gamon or Jamon? Gamon? God, we've had this guy for four years. We we don't have it right yet. No one really knows. We just kind of guess. Right. It's like Thibodeau and Thibodeau in the NFL draft. You just go with your heart. All right. Well, now we're changing in his senior year, so that's not ideal. But uh, where, as far as where he's properly rated, so are we doing nationally or amongst like Michigan people that talk about this stuff all the time? I'm doing. I want the Jared Stormer overrated, underrated, properly rated. Underrated is Macari Page. I've got Macari Page potentially over R.J. Moten. Uh, that's where I was going to get to next. I think R.J. Moten was solid last year, but had chances to really be great. And maybe like he'll he'll take another leap. There's no reason he can't take one more leap, but he did take a leap. And I thought like 
you know, this is a pretty good player, but this guy, like, I don't see some crazy elite ceiling. I do see a high ceiling with Makari Page. So I think that I'm going to go with him being underrated for right now because I just I see it. I saw it in the spring game. It I, I don't know. Sometimes it's just something you can't really explain. Um, properly rated DJ Turner. I think that we've got DJ Turner about right. Like we're saying this dude could be all Big Ten. Um, that's that's pretty awesome. I don't see him being like the best corner in the draft or anything, but an all Big Ten corner. That's pretty awesome. I think that's properly rated. Um and so now I need to do overrated RJ Moten for the reasons Makari page is underrated who you got. That's, that's very good. No, that's, that's, I think it's very apt, especially with who you are. I'm going to go with properly rated for Turner. Same as you like guys, a stud, like there's no point in arguing this. If he's healthy, he is cornerback one over and over again. For underrated, I'm going with my boy Mikey Sainer still. That mm-hmm. I'm going off a very small sample sure. size and projecting like we're doing an NBA draft. But the way he ran with Andrell Anthony in the spring game and got his head back, those are things you don't see from inexperienced corners. And he already is doing things of that nature. So I'm going to go underrated there. And overrated, I'm just the, the flip-flop of you. I'm going Makari Page. He's just a little overrated to me based on like what you see. Mm. Like, Don't like him as much in the run game. But again, like we're splitting hairs on Moten and Page here. It's not, I'm not saying he sucks. But I, if I'm going to pick one that's a little bit overrated to me, it's Makari Page. Finally, some dissidents on the podcast. Camps are being formed off in the distance. Camp Moten here on the Heartland. Camp Page. I love it. Uh, yeah, it'll be fascinating to watch. They're going to both be on the field. And then we just have a slew of young guys, too. So you want to talk about a position where, like, neither guy is safe either? You've got Keon Sab, Zeke, Barry, and Damani Dent just hanging out. <laughs> just guys just sitting next to the water cooler ready to take your job. Not to mention the Caden Colazars of the ward of the world who are just sitting there as legacy commits, been there just grinding to get on the field. Uh, same thing with uh, Gamon Green's brother, Jermaine, or Jer- however you call it, the other green, the other shade of green, the safety green, safety green has been sitting there for five years waiting to get on the field. So all of these guys just sitting there champing at the bit to do this. So, I mean, it is just a bloodbath in the secondary. And I feel confident in a lot in a lot of these players. I'm with you. It is a bloodbath, and I think we are going to see some of these other guys. It'd be fascinating to see how many of them we see. Ideally, you keep one or two of them uh, red shirt eligible. Um, Zeke Barry, I think, is both of our dude. If we see that dude and he's coming out there and that's the boundary player or the bandit player, excuse me, uh, right off the bat, I'm going to be so excited to watch four years of Zeke Barry. I mean, I'm just going to be besides myself. So, um, all right, going back to our list then. So you've got it, RJ Moten. How do you see RJ Moten being used then? So that means if you're assuming that Rod Moore is in that Brad Hawkins role, then you're wanting RJ Moten to take the Dax Hill role. So that's the guy that's roving a bit more, or he's going to actually be more of the traditional safety because we use Dax Hill as kind of that bandit role last year. I think he's going to be more of that traditional role. I think he's going to play a lot similar to what he did last year as it developed, and he's really good at that position, really good at stopping the run. Needs a little better ball skills. It doesn't make sense that he made the interception against Michigan State over the shoulder and dropped the easy one at Ohio State, but the leap he took to jump Makari Page was significant, and 
I don't know if he can take a leap that big again this next season, but I think he'll continue to improve and just be able to play that same role and excel in it. Uh, I'm with you. I don't see him becoming that bandit. I just don't think he has the athleticism. I think Macari Page would be better for that just because he's a little bit bigger body. Um, I think Page is going to end up taking Moten's job, but I mean, I'm just kind of projecting that. Either way, you'll see a lot of them. Um, I, I think they like Macari Page as well. Mikey Sainer is still probably just going to be your nickel cornerback, but Will Johnson. It's time that we do a couple minutes on Will Johnson. We've neglected this for a minute because that bandit role is basically what you saw Dax Hill doing last year. That's the guy that's going wherever is needed. Usually he's going to the side uh, where where you have less help. So he would probably be going to the DJ Turner side. Um, so that way it's kind of a threat like, oh, man, either this guy's completely blanketed or that guy's coming up and he's blitzing. And the reason I like Will Johnson in this role, maybe over a Mikey Sainristale or over a Michael Barrett, is just the physical profile of a Will Johnson. He's got the size right now. Obviously, they think this dude is your future number one border um, uh, boundary corner. Think Jeff Okuda from Ohio State. Um, you know, think any of the LSU guys that have come out recently um, and, and just been a lockdown. That's where this guy projects to be. But for right now, if you're just trying to find a use for this guy, you know he's probably not staying for four years anyway. There's no point trying to protect this red shirt. This is a dude that's trying to get to the NFL. I think I like this guy as your bandit, as the Dax Hill role, and I think I like him there immediately. And that's based on nothing other than seeing the body, knowing that he can run in that 4-4-4-5 range, just based off what we've heard from some people around him in high school. I don't know. I, I'm with you when you said I think we we do see Will Johnson, and I think that you see him potentially as soon as like week three or four in that bandit role where Dax Hill was last year. How do you feel about that? This is very interesting because, one, I think Will Johnson might be our main kick returner next year. I think you take Corum out of that with being the lead running back. You just don't need him taking any extra hits. So I think that is almost a lock for me. And I I honestly, I like where you're going, like having him play out of position in this role, but a lot of like coverage snaps because it's almost like what you did with Jabril Peppers when he got on campus. Like this guy is a five-star massive talent. He needs to be on the field in some capacity immediately. I don't know where it is yet, but we're going to find out on the fly. And he has the athleticism and all of the skill you want from anybody in the secondary. I think they have the coaches in place. I think you have the Rod Moores there in, to enable these type of experiments, to allow Will Johnson to make mistakes as you have that guy behind you to direct you and guide you. Like, hey, this is what I learned in week seven to do this, do this. Like, So I think I really like that. It's, it could be a stretch for some people, but it's really not that much of a stretch for me to see that. If this dude is a football dude, like we're led to believe, I think you're absolutely right. And I love your point about having Rod Moore back there. And that being something that can absolutely help this dude, because you're right, that is difficult from that bandit role, because basically you're going off of cues. You know, you're going off of does the quarterback do this? Does the center do this? Like, is this a run or a pass? And you need to diagnose that very quickly. And with RPO and stuff, that can be difficult. So that's a lot to ask for a freshman to be like, are you are you collapsing in on this or are you you know, are you taking the tight end? Are you taking the wheel route? What are you doing here? But athletically, you saw what it was last year when we had Dax Hill kind of in that role. And it's like, yo, this guy can cover. So like all of a sudden they're trying to go and get this wheel route and Dax Hill's on him like that ain't going to work. That ain't going to fly. So having that guy in that role, if you feel comfortable with it, could be very, very interesting and a great way to get this guy on the field pretty early. Um, But right off the bat, I think it'll be um, 
who do you see in that role? Do you see, see it Michael Barrett primarily? It's going to be a lot of different guys based on whoever they're going up against. But in that bandit role, like, do you think they'll just mix it up? Sane still Barrett, Macari Page kind of deal? Yeah, I think that's what you're going to see a lot of. It's going to be a rotating door to see who really sticks in camp and can get on the field. Uh, Sainer still has got the ball skills and plays super physical. Plus, like he's a coach on the field, loves both sides of the ball, can bring a lot of cerebralness to that secondary, just what he knows, the ins and outs. But again, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's personnel. It's all going to dictate matchups. So it's going to be, could be Michael Barrett, could be Macari Page, could be Will Johnson, could be Sainer still. And that's the beauty of this defense. Like Jesse Mentor is walking now into a situation where he has a plethora of riches and scheme advantages where, hey, they have a tight end that's a tough cover. Let's put this, let's put Michael Barrett in. Or they have a fourth receiver. Hey, let's get Will Johnson and Macari Page out there. So there's a lot of versatility here. So it's hard to pin down who's technically going to start just like last year. It all depends on the matchup. Exactly. And part of this position group being a strength is also because a position group that was a strength last year isn't quite there. And that's at the defensive end position. And the two are just inextricably linked in the sense that Last year, really, DJ Turner and Vincent Gray and Jamon Green definitely benefited from that pass rush. They didn't have to stay locked in on their guys as long as they did. I think it'll be the inverse this year, and you're going to see the pass rush benefit from good play in the secondary because I think they're going to lean on that in the 4-2-5. More guys in coverage. I think they'll lean on their players knowing that this is a strength, and that'll give the pass rush time to develop. That'll give guys like Mike Morris, the Braden McGregors of the world, just that extra half a second, that extra second to get past their guy. So it'll be it'll be different than last year, but you know, in how quick these plays seem, the bang bang nature of a play, it'll be like, oh wow, we haven't really lost a beat. But what's happening, you know, in, in fractions of a second is it's actually the secondary winning their matchups a lot more often than not. That's kind of how I see this going. Now, I want to pose a question to you because last season we saw a lot of players emerge that we weren't anticipating. Uh, DJ Turner, because of injury, kind of got buried on the depth chart. We really weren't talking about him that much before the year. And Rod Moore, because he was a three-star recruit. like You weren't expecting a three-star to break out as a true freshman. So I poise this to you. The DJ Turner-Rod Moore breakout candidate of 2022 is... Jalen Perry. It's Jalen Perry. He's been there for a couple years. I mean, and it would make sense because uh, DJ Turner's been there for a few years. We had kind of stopped mentioning him because it was like, oh, yeah, that's a guy that's still there. Jalen Perry's been there for a few years. He's gotten on the field a couple times. He he hasn't transferred. You know, a lot of these guys up and transfer. And this was like a former four star recruit. So he's an athlete. And he's been there for this long. I could see him getting in. Uh, maybe Jamon Green or Turner goes down for a game or two and Perry goes in. And we're like, hey, you know who I kind of like? Jalen Perry. I could see that. Who do you got? I absolutely. I, I love that. I'm a been a big Jalen Perry guy. He's been there for a while. He's got the size I like at six foot, about 190 pounds in the spring. So he brings that to you. He's experienced. He's been there, like taking his reps, paying his dues. And we saw him in spring. I'm like, that's oh, Jalen Perry's still here. And he, he looks really good right now. So I think that is a guy that could sneak onto the field this year in like a rotational capacity. And like at the end of the year, like, I feel really good when Jalen Perry's the third corner on the field. So like that's I love that pick. You nailed it for me. And like again, shockingly, we're aligned on this one. <laughs> but like that is a whole that that's a home run pick there. I feel so good in that pick. 
Dude, I'm with you. Uh, you put this one in the doc. This is your question. I'll just go ahead and uh, and pose it out there, though. Uh, this is kind of just a random fact that in the Harbaugh era, the most interceptions in one season was Channing Stribling in 2016 with four other uh, honorable mentions. There was Jeremy Clark with three in 2015, which is a super surprising number two. Delano Hill with three tied in 2016. Metellus with three in 2018. Brandon Watson with three in 2018. Ambry Thomas with three in 19. Lavert Hill in, in uh, with three in 2019. So four just really stands above a whole lot of threes. But uh, the other thing that stands out is uh, you got a couple guys in 2018 in there as well. So does someone break the Channing Stribling four interception record this year? This one is so tough because I want to say it gets tied and just, you know, ride the fence on down. But it all depends on if DJ Turner is going to get tested enough. If a lot of balls go his way, I think, yeah, he has the ball skills to make it, to, to break this. I really think he does. But also he could force a lot around the field, a lot more action to a, a couple other guys. So I'm going to say no right now because I don't think he's going to see enough action and I don't think anybody else is going to get quite enough work with the appropriate ball skills to make it happen. What say you? I say the same, but for sake of argument and for sake of I want it to be true, so I'm putting it into the universe, I'm saying DJ Turner gets five. Um, He has the ball skills. You mentioned that, and just as soon as you mentioned that, I remembered his interceptions from last year. Every one of them was the most athletic, like that dude just made a play on the ball interception that that we'd seen in a while. Ball skills that we just did not see with uh, with Lavert Hill and David Long when those were our aces there in the secondary uh, ball skills that Ambry Thomas didn't quite have. Jordan Lewis had those ball skills, um, but I think he's got it. I mean, obviously, you hit the nail on the head. The one thing that stops this from happening is like, well, yeah, we're just not going to throw at that guy because he's really freaking good. I think a dark horse candidate here is I'm going to beat this drum to death. I think Mikey Sainer still could turn two picks this year. I could see that, but I mean, uh, aren't we missing here? Channing Stribling got it in four because he was opposite of who? In 2016. Jordan Lewis, baby. Exactly. Best corner in football. So if we're saying DJ Turner is the second best, wouldn't be the, the candidate be Jamon Green, who I said reminded me of Stribling? Wouldn't that be a guy that if they're not target, targeting Turner, they're, they're targeting... Uh, Jamon Green. So that's another guy, too. Honestly, it's possible. It, it is very possible. And like you said off the air, you had a great point. You said, I think this is a secondary that can like turn the ball over a lot, come down with a lot of interceptions. But you could see like four guys each having two picks. I think that's the most likely scenario. I think you see like, oh, Sainra still got one. Will Johnson got one. Jamon Green had three. Turner had two. Uh, RJ Moten had two. I think it's going to be something like that. I think there's going to be. A lot of turn over under for turnovers as, as we had last year. I don't have the stat for how many turnovers we we got last year. But do you think this defense will create more turnovers than we did last year? Just based off your instant memory of last year. I think this defense is going to be more is going to create more turnovers. I'm so I'm pulling up turnover margin. Let's see interceptions gain since we're talking. Secondary. Yeah, because I, I don't have the number. I wasn't planning on asking you this, but just looking through this secondary, there's a lot of ball skill in this secondary. Last year, we were 93rd 
in over. interceptions. Pounding four. the over. Okay, so I am as well. We gained last year, let me get the exact number, interceptions, eight. Eight interceptions on the team last year. All right, I'm going one step further. Last year, my lock of the year was that Michigan would be the most improved defense in the nation. Lock of the year, more interceptions than last year. Just because of the nature of how we're going to play, because of the guys we talked about in the podcast, um, because of the fact that there's a ton of ball skill amongst the guys that are just going to be out there, and we go up against, uh, there's going to be more passing offense than there was last year. Yeah, pound me over if you can bet that on FanDuel. I'm 100% locked into this with you as well because uh, DJ Turner didn't start till halfway through the year then finished out the season and had two of those eight picks in just seven games, I believe. So, yeah, pound the over on this one. Shocker ran in agreement again that the secondary is the best unit on this defense and is going to be even better next season when it comes to creating havoc. I'm with you, brother. And, uh, you know, it was good to start on a high note because I think we'll probably do linebackers next week if we're working our way down the de- the, the defense. So uh, things will get a bit more grim when we get there. <laughs> It gets a little, you know, a little trimmer, but there's still the fun conversations of uh, where TJ Guy is going to fill in in that hybrid defensive end role, the Joey Velasquez, the mountain of a man hitting home runs, Khalil Mullings maybe trying to be Hassan Haskins, like die at Hassan Haskins. Like, so there's a lot of interesting storylines outside of the starters of Nakai Hill Green and uh, your boy, Junior Colson. Junior Colson is definitely my boy, but I might be planting another flag on TJ Guy Island. I'm, I'm considering it. I've, I've, I'm surprised you're not planning one on Derek Moore Island just because you picked him in the draft to be like your will linebacker. <laughs> oh, no, I own I own that entire continent. I own the landmass. I mean, I've, I've carved off a nice section of a couple acres uh, for TJ Guy, but I've got the whole continent on Derek Moore. Yeah, that's my guy. Did you hear Derek Moore's comments about like his uh, freshman expectations and like how like dominant he wants to be, wants 10 sacks, like Good. all of this stuff because it had me frothing at the mouth. That's what I'm telling you. Like I may have lost that draft, but I'm playing for 2 years down the road where it's like, "Oh, you had Derek Moore and Will Johnson? Good lord." I'm telling you. <laughs> and you had and you knife me in the back with Mikey Sainer still just to kick me while I'm down. And I'm also convinced you won because you have JJ and like, I see the tide turning. I can't wait till we get to our quarterback discussion. Like a lot of, lot of pent up aggression. I mean, not aggression towards one another, but like we've been putting that discussion off. So, and, and I see things shifting on Twitter towards JJ. So he's, he's the darling. That's what, that's what got you the win. They love JJ. I get it. They do love JJ. That's going to be a fun debate because neither you, we're not married to either of these players, Cade or JJ. And that's going to be one you want to mark your calendars for because we could have a special guest coming on, helping kind of moderate this debate, offer his own insight. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, looking forward to that one. That's down the road. But uh, we'll get to the linebackers next week. Anything else from you, my friend, before we sign off? Uh, no, man. Uh, glad to be back. I'm probably going to watch a couple more Michigan games from last season, really boning up on a couple different things and uh, a lot more to break down, man. I'm really excited for this offseason. Me as well, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're actually going to do some deep dives into the material, actually analyze some stuff, which is a, a different avenue for us, but it's an avenue I'm excited for. So that's going to do it for Out of the Blue tonight. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. You can follow us on Twitter at Maze and Brew. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.